Hi, I'm Keegan Sands, and welcome back to Ship It, the podcast from Dept Agency that's made by engineers for engineers. Heard a lot about AI and machine learning, but don't understand it? This month's episode is for you. Machine learning, explain it like I'm five. Special guest Tyler Ranelli, host of Dept's Machine Learning Guide podcast, chats with Dept engineer and resident five-year-old Matt Merrill about the history, background, and technical landscape of machine learning. So without further ado, let's get started. I thought we'd record this because... It's the new year. It's probably a lot of people that are looking for some new stuff to learn in the new year or maybe as the year goes along. I've been a, I've been a mostly a backend developer in Java and Node.js and dabble in DevOps for like 15, 15 plus years. I know little to nothing about AI, ML topics. I thought it would be really interesting to bring Tyler Rennell on here. Did I say your name wrong? Rennelli. Rennelli. I knew I said it wrong. Who... Uh, is the host of a podcast um, named Machine Learning Guide. Cool. And it's part of our uh, mutual podcast network now. Nice. Yes, the Depth Podcast Network. So I thought we'd uh, have a conversation about machine learning and kind of explain it to me, the dummy here, like I'm five. I briefly introduced myself. So Tyler, why don't you tell us more about yourself and uh, kind of why why we should trust you and listen to you on this topic? <laughs> so my name is Tyler Ranelli, and I come from web dev, mobile dev myself as well. About it was uh, four or five years ago, I switched to machine learning. So I'm definitely not the ultra expert on the topic, but I'm I, I'd like to think of myself on an ex, as an expert on teaching the topic as somebody who struggled with with the transition from one field probably primarily going to be the listening audience to machine learning. And at the time when I created the podcast, there were no like newbie resources in the, in, the, in the same way that once upon a time, computer science was the only way into app development. And then there, and then there was boot camps and, and very easy resources. Uh, at that time, it was sort of the computer science days of machine learning. And I was like, this is actually a lot easier than they're portraying it in the textbooks. Let me, let me take a stab at uh, distilling this down to dummies like myself, and now, now we have the boot camp, the data science boot camps, and the, and the easy uh, learning resources and all that stuff. Um, but that was it was a, a nascent market at the time. Yeah, but you still have a pretty good listenership, as I understand it. So, like, obviously, yeah. you've hit, you've struck a chord there. So that's cool. Yeah. Well, timing it was timing. Like I said, there was nothing at the time. So I was the first machine learning podcast. That's crazy. There was one out there. What was it called? Um, anyway, there was a professor who was teaching AI, but it was really mathy, really techy. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be one of my questions because that scares me as a person who's not great at math. So, yeah. So, I mean, let's just get into it. Like AI, ML, NLP, like tell, just give us like give us the overview of this. Like how can we how can we kind of like get through this and like, what do I Google? What do I, what do I ignore? What do I start with? I don't know. Wherever you, wherever you think we should start. Okay, cool. Um, so the, the, the master umbrella is data science. That's the umbrella term for everything we're going to be talking about in this episode, but we're going to hone in on machine learning, a subfield of data science. So data science is anything that deals with data. It can even extend it as far as you, you might even consider like a like a financial advisor or data science. And anybody who's doing spreadsheets, databases, 
somebody who's even a database administrator might be considered someone in the data science mm -hmm. umbrella. But anything that deals with data is data science. Machine learning obviously deals with data. Therefore, it's data science. The traditional data science roles at an organization are going to include things like uh, feature engineering, data engineering, like pulling your data out of somewhere from cloud, Twitter, whatever. So data engineering also includes transforming that data into something that's usable downstream. It also includes data analysts. So people who are going to be looking at the data and making human-based decisions using charts and graphs um, with, with programs like Tableau and Power BI. Mm -hmm. And then there's the machine learning people who are actually writing algorithms that make predictions based on the data. So if a data analyst takes data from somewhere and looks at it to make human decisions, a machine learning engineer is the same thing, but making robo decisions. They, they write algorithms that make predictions automated. Uh, no human in the loop, per se. Got it. AI, artificial intelligence, it's a, it's a bigger... So, so we got data science. Underneath data science is AI. And then underneath AI is machine learning. So AI, it's, it's the field of... Automated intelligence. That's, I mean, it, if you look it up on Wikipedia, it's, it's like uh, automating things that would typically take human level intelligence. Uh, that's going to include things like uh, language processing, natural language processing. So anything, anything language oriented like Siri, chatbots, uh, computer vision, um, uh, knowledge representation, and uh, decision, decision and action planning. So uh, game playing bots like Google's AlphaGo, AlphaGo Zero and all those things. You know, mm -hmm. Anything that plays chess or, or predicts stock market or takes, takes action on the stock market. And then machine learning. And once upon a time, machine learning was just a subfield within AI. Nowadays, that line is getting blurred. It's, it's difficult to disambiguate the terms AI from ML. And the reason is machine learning proved to be so valuable so important, uh, learning on the data proved to be so important. It is subsuming the other spaces of AI. So once upon a time, com computer vision was a bunch of dedicated algorithms that were handcrafted using these things called like, these like patches that look for patterns in, in pixel values, these little square patches. It's almost, you've got, it's funny, you've got, where's Waldo? <laughs> you've got Waldo uh, in the background. I, I always use Waldo as the example for my computer vision stuff. Uh, you might have like red and white stripes in a in a square pat, pixel patch that slides over an image, and yep. it looks looks for that pattern. Uh huh. And then and then it says ding ding ding, and then there's some score, but it's all handcrafted. Along came machine learning, and they were they they automated that process. Same concept, still using mm -hmm. the, the patch. It's called a convolution, but they use these networks called a convolutional neural network that actually learn the patterns it's it's looking for. So it's like one layer removed. So machine learning just swept through all the subdomains of AI. And that's why the, the line between AI and, and ML is, is, is blurry more than ever before. Um, that's why some people have difficulty knowing the difference between the two terms. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I like the way you explain that. It's almost like abstracting up that, well, at least in that image recognition example, abstracting it up a level so that like image recognition becomes just something you can do when you tell it what to look for, as opposed to mm -hmm. like bespoke crafting an algorithm to look for some specific thing. That's really cool. On that idea, uh, I like to think of machine learning as there's almost like layers of machine learning. Uh, the, so let's say that the, the first level is to complete handcrafted scripts, like a Python file that you wrote end to end yourself. The next layer above that would be 
some part of that script learns something on your behalf. So you don't quite code it into the script. You coded it, but that part of the script is actually doing a little bit of, of knowledge gaining on its own, learning patterns and data. And that's machine learning. Mm-hmm. And then a layer above that is what, what's called meta learning. Um, in machine learning, we have these machine learning algorithms or models where we tune, we tune what's called hyperparameters. Don't worry about that for now, but there are still things that we like oversee in the machine learning process. There's a, there's a layer above that called meta learning that does its own dial and knob tuning. It, it, uh, mm-hmm. hyperparameter optimizes itself. That's mm-hmm. one step closer to AI. So like sort of the, the master goal of AI is like the, the thing completely manages itself. We don't have to teach it how to learn. It's kind of like autopilot as opposed to like, like tweaking the knobs yourself as you go. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Cool. What, so basically what is machine learning? I say, um, I say machine learning is fuzzy logic and I have to be careful with that phrase because it's actually a phrase used in machine learning in a subdomain of machine learning, yeah. but we're going to roll with it. Fuzzy logic. If, if you write a script that says, if this, then that, and, and it's very clear to you, it's, there's hard, there's hard cuts that make yep. for a very obvious, um, you know, A to Z scenario or yep. solution. Yep. Um, then you write it yourself. But if there's not hard cuts, if it's fuzzy, uh, the, the in-betweens are difficult. Uh, for you as a programmer to loop yourself in, um, then it's sort of fuzzy logic. That's a good case for use of machine learning. Okay. So there's, you know, um, I'll, I'm going to get to an example for a project that we were actually working on slash considering machine learning implementation at, at Rocket actually. Uh, but we've talked about image, image recognition. Yep. That sliding patch is looking for, for patterns in the pixel values. Once upon a time, we did handcraft that, like you said, bespoke, bespoke algorithms, handwritten convolutions, but they were very scenario based. So an expert in image, in, in image theory, I don't know, would, would come in and write, um, a handful of patches that are for dog recognition, a handful of patches for car recognition. And it was, it was, in other words, it was fuzzy logic because we're, because it's, those those like delineators in pixel values to designate something as cat, car, tree, or dog mm-hmm. um, are fuzzy, but they were able to achieve it nonetheless because like the show goes, the show must go on. There wasn't really machine learning at the time. Sure, but that's a classic scenario. Once they t- once uh, convolutional neural networks learning algorithms f- for this type of scenario became available, they it wiped out those those old guard of the algorithms. That's a yep. perfect situation in which there's no hard cut if then if then statements. Right. So I say machine learning is sort of fuzzy logic. I also say it's learning patterns and data. And I'm going to pause in, in case you have any questions or want to. One thing I think that we could talk about, though, like how processing power shaped that. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. Machine learning is quite old. Some people call it applied statistics. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff you you do in machine learning is nothing but old textbook statistics, calculus, linear algebra algorithms. And, and what we, what we call it. So it's an algorithm is the, you know, the math puzzle written mm-hmm. in code. Once it's actually like the, the data that has learned on gets fused into the algorithm. These, you know, these variables now hold, uh, numbers. 
yeah. called a model. So a model yeah. is like a hydrated algorithm. Yeah. Okay. But the algorithms, the raw algorithms are nothing more than old textbook stats, linear algebra, calculus, hmm. math, math problems. So in a way, machine learning has been around forever. It's just that, like you said, we didn't have the processing power. We didn't have the know-how to turn it into tech. We really started like hunkering down on it with like the 60s, 70s, 80s. So machine learning as code is quite old indeed. It yep. wasn't popular because at the time, the algorithms in use were called shallow, shallow learning algorithms. There's a model called a linear regression, very simplistic model. They, they just weren't that powerful. But the, the knowledge of neural networks, of deep learning. So shallow learning is, is basically like a single math equation. Hydrate that into a model based on learning from data. Now you have right. a machine learning model. Deep learning is stacked shallow learning algorithms. Okay. A, a neural network is actually nothing more than a network of linear regression nodes that are called neurons. So it's stacked shallow learning algorithms. And like in a Bayesian network, for example, would have been like naive, naive Bayes is a shallow learning algorithm. A Bayesian network is like that transformed into a graph. Any machine learning expert listening to this episode is probably up in arms, but that's the general gist. That was conceptualized a long, long time ago, but impossible to achieve until the computing power of our generation. I mean, that's a lot of data. Like that's a lot mm -hmm. of data and you have to keep a lot of it in memory. And it also requires a lot of CPU power to be able to move it around and adjust it and stuff like that. And also on top of it, I mean, up until the 2010s, we weren't even capturing a lot of that data, right? right? Like it was just not even able to be accessed, even if we did have the computing power. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool way of looking at it. It was like 20, I would say like 2015 that it really all started popping off. And nowadays we use GPUs instead of CPUs for most, most machine yeah. learning. And, and why is that? Core of a CPU can handle a lot of computation. That's why there's yep. only eight. A core of a GPU can handle a tiny, tiny, tiny computation, but there's way many more of them. And like I said, in the case of a neural network where each node, each neuron is basically just a linear regression unit, mm -hmm. those are small computations. They're, they're very easy to do. Mm -hmm. Distribute a crap ton of those parallel. And that's why, that's why a GPU is, is valuable in this case. Got it. So I'm going to take a crack at this. A general purpose CPU could handle one very complicated operation very quickly. Whereas a CUDA core, I think you said. That could handle a very simple operation very quickly. Couldn't do a complicated one, but it's able to scale that out, which is exactly what these, these algorithms need. Exactly. Think, think of a CPU as like an EC2 instance, a huge EC2 instance. Yep. And a GPU is like 50 Lambda functions. You know what I mean? So we have the, you know, the computation became available, especially by way of GPUs that made neural networks uh, feasible. And then, and then, like you said, data, data became uh, uh, available at scale. And, you know, the way... The way Google operates, right, is it scrapes the web. So now they have all the language data of, of the world. They went on to create all these natural language processing models pre-trained that are available through the Hugging Face library. Sorry, what was it called? Hugging Face. <laughs> Hugging Face. Yeah, let's, let's go into, I'll talk about the different domains of machine learning. Hugging Face okay. ties into the, the natural language domain. It's, my, it's okay. my favorite library. Actually, natural language is my favorite domain of, of machine learning. I say machine learning is broken down into three parts. It's table space and time. Anytime you're dealing with tables, whether they're spreadsheets or databases, you're going to be using table machine learning models. Let's say we have a spreadsheet. It's the housing costs of houses in, in uh, Newburyport. You have a bunch of columns that are like the, the distance to downtown, the, s the square feet, the number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms. And then what you're trying to predict is the cost. So you, you take one of those columns in your CSV, your spreadsheet, and pull it aside. 
That's the thing you're trying to predict. A machine learning algorithm that deals with table data will learn the patterns in those columns. We call them features, the, the ones on the left, X, in order to predict the, the Y column, the cost of the house. Very popular algorithm here is called XG Boost. That's probably the most popular algorithm of machine learning period. So that one's worth name dropping. Interesting. XG Boost. It's a, it's a decision tree. It learns the if this and that then blank. It's not actually it's what's called a gradient boosted ensemble of, of decision trees. So it's like a, it's multiple decision trees all like voting against each other. But effectively, it's a decision tree. And it's, what's cool is actually you can you say like xgboost.fit my spreadsheet and it can output the, the decision tree it generated. And you can look at the, you know, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. If it's, you know, if the number of bedrooms greater than two and. Okay. So you're saying like xgboost.fit. What is that in? Is that in Python? Like Python. Okay, cool. So me, like I'm thinking in the, in my head right now, like this sounds like I'm a straight ahead enough use case that me as kind of a machine learning moron might be able to, to use this in something that I'm working on. Is it really that simple? Yes. Okay. Wow. Very, very simple. But no, this is new. The idea of, of machine learning being available to, to people like us is, is yeah. very new. This revolution that's been going on. I mean, most people, most people listening to this episode have heard the term machine learning. I didn't hear the term machine learning until seven years ago. Like the term. <laughs> if you're like me, like I heard AI a ton, but not machine learning. Exactly. And like, I don't think I learned the difference between the two until similar to the time frame you were talking about, you know, 2015 or 2016, whatever. Now, now that, you know, there was like a revolution after the deep learning revolution, which became available again by, by way of lots of data, lots of comp compute power, even though the deep learning models themselves were available for a very long time. Yeah. It sparked this huge revolution. And now there's just Python libraries for everything. And you can just write some lines of code and get the job done uh, very easily. It's crazy. So there's table space of time. So uh, let's start with time. Time is like step, step, step. You're learning, you're learning the steps that lead to the next step. Stock market prediction, very obvious use case of that. So over the last week of fluctuations of the price of a stock, what is the likely next price of that stock? What's, what's it going to be tomorrow? And therefore, should I buy or sell today? Language. So word, 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 word. What's the next word going to be? But you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really cool use cases of language. So language is time, stock market's time, weather, you know, predicting the weather, budget forecasting for companies and all these things. Yeah. So there's dedicated algorithms for, for time. And in the table stuff, the shallow learning algorithms, you know, linear regression, XG boost and stuff. There's also uh, just neural networks. Uh, that was the, the deep, the deep learning revolution introduced neural networks, a vanilla neural network. When somebody thinks of the word Neural network is actually almost like a class, like an abstract class. It's a concept. It's not really an algorithm. The neural network people are thinking of when they say that word is actually called a multi-layer perceptron that's used for table data. And then for time series stuff like language, it's called a recurrent neural network. So subclass neural network, one is for table, one is for space, one is for time. The time one is called a recurrent neural network. And the recurrent part is that it loops back on itself. So it becomes a graph and you have to be able to, you have to do that because you have to be able to take undefined number of steps in time. And so sure. it has to be able to loop, loop back on itself. And then in space, spaces is like pixel, uh, an image where we're talking about a convolutional neural network. So subclass neural network into convolutional neural network. Convolution is that patch I was talking about that's looking for Waldo. So it learns how to detect things in an image based on mm -hmm. pixel values. So that's space. Interestingly, the difference between time and space has been blurring in the last few years. The series of models came out 
called uh, Transformers. There was a white paper called uh, Attention is All You Need. And it introduced this, this like attention module into neural networks. So it pays attention to certain, certain points, either in time or space. And what that model did is strangely, it, it blurred the lines between space and time. And now a lot of times for language stuff, people are using convolutional neural networks which tradi traditionally used for space. So, so the, the line between, between t space and time is kind of being blurred and there's a little bit more universal, uh, universality to the neural networks that are being used yeah. in these cases by way of the transformers. So if I'm, if I'm about to, you know, start out and, and look at, and look at this stuff, like shit, is that like a very advanced topic or is that actually a good place to start these days because it is more cutting edge speaking to like the how easy it is to get started as a developer uh, question tying that into to this you don't really need to know much of what i just said about like a ten, like attention module and transformers and stuff a lot of days these these like python libraries just handle all that uh legwork for you and you just write a handful of lines of code to get the job done so back to hugging face the library yep hugging face is a suite of tools for natural language processing, chatbot, question answering, summarization, uh, sentiment analysis. Anytime you're dealing with text or spoken language, even it handles spoken language, you, you'll use this hugging face library. The goal of that library was to implement transformers that I just mentioned in its various, in its various ways, the different algorithms that were kind of being pushed out in, in white paper land so that you as a user don't need to care about what's happening back there you know, let the scientists do their science. I just want to build mm -hmm. stuff. Sort of like spiraled out of control. That library does everything under the sun. Oh. Um, it's incredibly powerful. You just write a one-liner, take a blob of text, take a Wikipedia entry, and then, you, you know, you download it with uh, Beautiful Soup or something in Python, yeah. and you just say summarize. Huggingface.summarize. And it's like, here's a wow. paragraph. And it's, it's incredible. So a couple, couple of follow-ups on there. You mentioned Beautiful Soup. What's that? I've never heard of that. So yeah, Beautiful Soup is just a web scraping library uh, for it. Python. Let's talk about languages a bit. So Python, Python, Python. That's the language of data science and, and machine learning. Other li popular languages for machine learning are Scala because of Spark and I guess Hadoop. Because a lot of data science is data at scale, parallelizing data processing over multiple um, servers or whatever the case. Spark was a popular framework to use for that. So Scala became a popular language to use in machine learning. But then they ported that to Python because more people were using Python in machine learning than Scala. And it was such an uphill battle that they're like, okay, we give up. <laughs> Let's create Py PySpark. So now Spark mm. and so now Spark works with Python. Cool. R, R is a popular language for machine learning, but it's a little bit more in the data analytics crowd and is fast becoming phased out uh, in favor of Python. Right. MATLAB. MATLAB is popular in the um, academic crowd for research purposes. Again, it's starting to phase out. The, the show's becoming very, it's becoming very clear that there's kind of a clear winner language wise yeah. here. If you're going to learn machine learning, learn Python. Honestly, don't bother with any of the other languages. It's kind mm -hmm. of a bold statement, but I think, I think most of my colleagues would agree. I think a lot of folks that listen to this podcast, just because of what, what Rocket and Depth does, like a lot of us are coming from the web background. And the nice thing about Python is it could do that too. You kind of can't go wrong learning Python these days. You really can't. It's not wasted knowledge. You could script DevOps stuff with that. You could script random stuff. It's the language of stats. It's pretty great. 
Yeah. So what you were saying about like taking the Hugging Face library and just feeding some random text into it, does your podcast's ML guide, like, do you have, do you walk through some of this stuff? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. I talk about a lot of these libraries and technologies that are used and some of the specific function calls you might make. I don't go too much into code because it's obviously audio format. But the podcast has a like a companion GitHub repository called Nothi, this AI journal that I'm building open source. And I use Hugging Face, you know, through and through. But we're talking about how easy it is to do machine learning these days. I mentioned XGBoost for, for table data. I mentioned uh, Hugging Face for language stuff and more, surprisingly more. If you look at the Hugging Face models on their website, you'd be like, what? You know, I thought this was a language library. It, does, it works with table data. It works with images as well. Yeah. The first step getting started with machine learning is to not use actually any Python libraries yourself, but to see how far you can get in the cloud first and foremost. Oh. Because cloud services on AWS, Google, GCP, and Microsoft Azure, they have these machine learning tasks as hosted services that you can make calls to their endpoint. And that's beneficial to you as a developer because many of these machine learning models do want a GPU. About the only one that doesn't is XGBoost. Uh, but Hugging Face, if you're dealing with time and space, you're going to want a GPU. If you're developing on a Mac, you're out of luck because mm. Macs don't have NVIDIA graphics cards. And NVIDIA is pretty much, you know, you can get machine learning working with OpenCL and third-party libraries, something called Plaid ML, but it's, it's just a pain in the neck. Mm. What you really want is a PC, either Linux or Windows. If you're using Windows, you use WSL2 to use Linux. In other words, your only option is Linux. Pretty much, it's not completely true, but pretty much you really want to be developing on Linux because you want to tap into your NVIDIA graphics card. Well, what if you don't have that? It's kind of a pain in the neck to set up like with CUDA. There are ways around that by way of Docker. Well, if you're developing a machine learning model, you're going to deploy it to the cloud eventually anyway. So you might as well start one step ahead of the curve by working with the cloud first. Yeah. And these main three cloud offerings have machine learning models as hosted REST endpoints for almost everything you're going to be doing. Oh, that's amazing. Table space and data. So they have sentiment analysis, text classification. You can pipe it an image. AWS has their image classification service. You pipe it an image, it'll tell you everything that's in the image. You give it a table of data, a spreadsheet. There's a service called AWS Autopilot. That's something worth knowing, as well as GCP's AutoML. These are cloud services that you just give it a spreadsheet and it does the number crunching. You you tell it which column you're trying to predict. And it will look at the spreadsheet or the database and say, okay, this is the one he's trying to predict. It looks to be numeric. Maybe it has some some out of bounds, like outliers or such. I'm going to try to dial that in using some magic. I'm going to take these columns. This one's text, but I want numbers. So I'm going to turn that text into categories. It does all the magic for you behind the scenes. It it selects which model to use, usually XGBoost, but you don't have to care. It will select, tune, and train the machine learning model for you. And then it will optionally host that as a REST endpoint for you to call for future data, which is kind of the point of training a machine learning model. Basically, the REST endpoint is kind of a facade for whatever algorithm that this thing, I don't want to say determines for you, but you help it program and it just takes the inputs 
then compares it against the model and runs the algorithm. That's right. That's amazing. That's Autopilot? AWS Autopilot. They also have a service called Canvas. Autopilot and Canvas, by the way, these are under the umbrella of AWS SageMaker. It's their suite of machine learning oriented tools. Mm -hmm. What's cool about SageMaker is obviously the tools inside of SageMaker are incredibly powerful. Like I said, Autopilot will automatically generate a machine learning model for you. But what's also cool about SageMaker is it pipelines them together as needed. You can either use these tools a la carte within SageMaker, Mm -hmm. or you can use them as part of a pipeline that you build and then deploy. And then as new data comes in, for example, it will send it through the pipeline. It will do some feature engineering. It will do you know, feature transformations and pipe it through autopilot and then redeploy a REST endpoint and all that stuff for you. So it almost manages the adjustments to the algorithm for you as it gets more data? Yep, it does. Well, because I mean... I mean, even, you know, the very little I've looked into this stuff, like I know that as of even like two years ago, that was a big deal of like, okay, I've got to retrain the model and redeploy it and da, 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 da. And this stuff will do it for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in within SageMaker, there's tools like Clarify that sort of keeps an eye on drift and bias of data and, and the model. Yeah. And can kick off certain processes that uh, retrain and redeploy the model. If I were to say to this audience, how do we get started technologically? I would say start with SageMaker, actually. Hmm. Because SageMaker will use under the hood much of what I've mentioned in this episode, like FGBoost and Hugging Face. Yeah. They're using those those open source technologies in their stack, but is, is a black box to you. You just send it data and it sends back a response. Yeah. But becoming familiarized with StageMaker will get you the furthest, fastest. You'll also be already sort of in the cloud, ready to deploy when the time comes, because the time will come. Got it. So one of the questions like that I was going to ask, and like at this point, I don't even think I need to ask it, but I am going to just say it. I suck at math. I'm terrible at it. And one of my questions is going to be like, can I still do this? And based on everything that I've just heard you say, the answer is like a resounding yes. A resounding yes. I suck at math as well. The best analogy that is coming to mind for me is like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a web developer. I like, I do a lot of APS, right? And I don't need to know the details of the HTTP spec to make an API. I can use a, a library like Express or Spring MVC in, in Java and it handles all that stuff for me. But I do need to know some of the stuff happening under the covers, right? Like a, like a, Simple example is like, if I'm going to throw like a bad parameter or I want to throw a 400 level error, error code, cause that's just kind of a standard. So one of the things that's come into mind is obviously you can't go into this blind, right? Like you have to know which knobs to tweak and, and what to dial up and down or like, Ooh, SageMaker tried this for me, but it doesn't feel right. I'm not getting the right. How do I learn just enough to, to be able to do that? Maybe you can speak to that. Right, so I'm a huge fan of top down learning start by building an app. Now you have an app. Yeah. Oh, this tiny module here doesn't get the job done from the auto tooling that I've been using. I want to unpack that and write it myself. Start writing it yourself. Oh, this module of that module requires math. Learn only that math needed and it will become obvious. The process when I start a machine learning project, the process is start with SageMaker. Is it table auto autopilot? Is it text? I use SageMaker Comprehend. Is it images? I use their image service. It'll get you 80, 80% of the way. Right. There are clear gaps in, in SageMaker tools. Very quickly, you will discover things you, you need to write yourself. Yes. Okay, let's crack open Python. Let's download Hugging Face or XGBoost or something. For example, in Nothi, the AI journal, it gives book recommendations. You journal, oh, today sucked. My boss yelled at me, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, over time, it sort of gets to know you and it will start recommending books. So, okay, maybe you should read this like emotion management book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it acts like Pandora. Yeah. So you can thumbs up and thumbs down its, its recommendations. Well, the book yeah. recommendation is a simple off the shelf. It's like uh, hugging face your journal, hugging face the books. Cool. Now you they're turned into vectors. Now I can compare those vectors using cosine similarity. A lot of that stuff is off the shelf. But the thumbs up, thumbs down process gets a little hairy. That's handwritten in, in, in Python using a framework called Keras. So the deep learning, so Python's language, scikit-learn is the shallow learning library. Okay. And then the deep learning libraries are, are TensorFlow and PyTorch. Those are the two okay. popular deep learning libraries. And then add, add an extra complexity. There's a thing called Keras that like sits on top of TensorFlow that makes it easier to use. It's a, it's a syntax sugar overlay on top of TensorFlow okay. specifically. So TensorFlow is by Google. Um, it's like the angular of deep learning. And PyTorch right. is the React of deep learning. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know, what I, mean? I, I would so much rather use PyTorch and React most of the time. Yeah. Um, but there are there, there's times to use one or the other. Usually, if you're using another library and they have already selected a deep learning preference, then you just got to roll with it. So it pays to know both later after you've tried your SageMaker hand and, and it didn't fully do the job. Can you plug that that custom code into things that SageMaker already has done for you? Yes. Yeah, SageMaker cool. has this concept of bring your own model, bring your own container, and bring your own something else. And I can't remember, there's three prongs. You can use their REST services, like sentiment analysis, for example. You send it a string, yep. you know, a, a review, and it'll be like sad, angry, happy, blah. Easy peasy. Yep. Okay, we want to get a little bit more complex. I want to classify this text. Is it, you know, is it yep. uh, about baseball or is it about football? So you're going to do a little bit of training on your own. But because it's such a common type of a scenario, SageMaker offers tooling around that, but you do have to write your own code. And so they call that bring your own code. You can still deploy it to SageMaker without worrying about GPUs and scalability and, mm. and the libraries that are pre-installed. But you just have to handcraft a little bit of code and it's going to subclass something. Got it. And then finally, they have bring your own container. You're like, no, nah, I'm getting real customization here. I, I don't want to worry about GPU. That's it. But that and scalability. But I, I want to handle all the libraries and the and the code myself. So let's bring your own container. Yeah, because maybe you need some kind of custom library or something like that that right. SageMaker doesn't offer out of the box. Okay, okay, I'm I'm with you. You subclass their Docker container and then you do the rest yourself. Like I'm I'm drawing some parallels here to like Lambda, where it's like Lambda will give you the node runtime and you can run a JavaScript Lambda, but you have to go within the bounds of whatever Lambda gives you. Perfect, perfect analogy. Sa SageMaker is the Lambda of machine learning. Yeah, okay, cool. That makes sense. Plus a bunch of extra with, you know, like monitoring. The, yeah, I mean, the pipelining and stuff like yeah. that. That's, that's amazing. And monitoring too? Monitoring. And, and then it sends you email alerts. Look, your, your data is starting to drift. Look, your users aren't who you thought they were. It's, it's incredible. It's super powerful stuff. People are going to start thinking like we're like selling SageMaker. We're legitimately not. Like, right. <laughs> I think we're just legitimately excited about this. We talked earlier and I'm like, I'm not a DevOps guy uh, and I'm taking an interest lately. But because AWS just seems to be the most popular, it's the easiest place to start. So it just so happens that I don't know crap about GCP or Azure. And that's why I'm harping on SageMaker. It's a knowledge thing. It's, it's because I'm, yeah. I'm taking the easy, easy way out here, basically. Right. As a counterpoint, like even though I know nothing about this, I did work with a client at Rocket that was using Google Cloud. And they were doing all kinds of image training, image training algorithms. And I worked with their AI engineer, or ML engineer, and he raved 
raved, raved, raved about GCP. In fact, they were using GCP for that reason. Like he drove the rest of their organization to use the, use it. Interesting. So there's something to it. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, there's a really good, that's a really good kind of caveat to give people is like, this is just what we know, but that's through the lens of one person at one client. But what he was doing was pretty, pretty neat with image recognition. So that's really interesting to hear. Actually, so, um, you know, our parent organization, Depths, and they all, they're Google people. They're all GCP people. And, and they're like, yeah. they're mega data scientists. And, and Azure too, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Rocket is mostly AWS. Like all of our clients use AWS. A lot of Depths clients, which are, you know, right now anyway, primarily in Europe, they're all using Azure and GCP. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. I'll have to hit the drawing board one of these days and, and check out those those offerings yeah. by GCP Azure. Because yeah, Depth swears by it. They're like, well, no, dude, AWS really staging? <laughs> I'm like, what? Staging is awesome. Dude. We were talking with our, our head of DevOps, Jirawat, the other day, and you know, and I agree with him that like GCP has a much easier to use interface than than AWS. AWS's interface can be very difficult to use. Very, very difficult to use. You know, AWS is so old, everything is just Band-Aids on Band-Aids. It's from like 2007. It looks like it. So the the maths to know are calculus, statistics, and linear algebra, but don't learn it. (laughs) Don't learn it until you, you'll, (laughs) I was going to say, I'm I'm tapping out if that's the case. All right. So you'll know when you need it. So what I was getting at with that, uh, so I wrote that Keras neural network that learns the thumb, the thumbing process, thumbs up a book, thumbs down a book. Yeah. It's hard to explain why I use what I use there, but. The last module of the neural network, the last layer is like, you know, layer dot softmax. You're like, what is a softmax, right? And so that's not super black box. You kind of have to know what a softmax is to tack on that layer and understand what's coming out of it to use it. Mm. So you look up softmax. Oh, it's something in statistics. So then you deep dive this concept of softmax. You'll know when you need math. The, yeah. the time will come if you really get into machine learning, but but punt for as long as you can. There's a series of um of YouTube videos from a guy from the New York Times who explains math concepts for adults in kind of very simple ways. I should find that and link it in the description because is this StatQuest? I don't know. I, that doesn't sound familiar. Two blue, one brown. Ah, uh, it could be it. That could be it. Those are good. Those are good. Those are really good. StatQuest will get you mostly there as far as yeah. needed math knowledge for, for machine learning. Got it. Nice. Nice. Well, I think we touched on a lot of really good stuff. I know like I'm super interested. I'm charged up. I want to go start now. So like shameless plug here. How do we find your podcast? Because that's probably a good place to start, right? So just look, look at machine learning guide. In Spotify or iTunes or whatever, um, you'll find it. Uh, the website is ocdevel.com forward slash MLG, ocdevel.com forward slash MLG. Nice. Cool. And it sounds like if you, if you're not, if you are interested, like get yourself an AWS account, start playing around with SageMaker. I know that you've got a couple of episodes and late, you know, more of your latest episodes are on SageMaker. I'm going to go check those out. Mm-hmm. Nice. Anything else you'd recommend to get uh, final, you know, final thoughts on, on ML? Yeah. So you're like in that podcast, it's a bit of a, like a, a course, almost an audio course and more conversational format audio course, like take a Udemy class and turn it into audio. And I have a forward slash resources section. And so if you even want to skip the podcast, go to the resources section, because that's a, it's a step-by-step beginning to end for how to learn machine. And I keep it, I constantly keep it up to date. So like 
The first course everybody recommends on the internet is this Andrew Ng Coursera course. But that's that's an example of like uh, following this curriculum. So if you want to listen to the podcast for, you know, it's ocdevel.com forward slash MLG. If you don't, but you want to know how to get started, go to the same website, go to the resources tab. And it's, it's going to be other other resources that are not my own. Cool. Well, we always wrap up Ship It with picks, which are just random things. Anything we could be on, on our mind that we really like lately. Tyler, do you have anything you want to tell us about? Actually, you start because mine's going to be kind of wacky. You want me to start? Yeah. All right, sounds good. <laughs> so one, uh, there's a guy at, at Rocket slash uh, Ed. He's he's kind of our resident tinkerer. Um, he loves playing around with, um, you know, 3D printing, like all this really cool, like electronic stuff. And he turned me on to this thing called Pi Portal from Adafruit. And it's this little programmable touch screen that you can program with Python. And I got that to show it that you can't see it, but I'm going to show it to Tyler. Like it's this, like, it's basically a raw circuit board with a little LED light, a small speaker and like a touch screen. And you can program it with whatever you want. You can go fetch stuff from an API. They have tutorials. It is so fun. It's so cool. Like, I think it cost me like 40 bucks or something on sale. Like, I'm so excited to play with the thing. I already got like a little weather thing going. So it's, it's pretty neat. What are you making with it? He said weather thing. What I want to do is make, uh, we have uh, Sonos speakers in the house. And like, I really want something that's always on that will show what is playing on Sonos. And that will allow you to just like skip tracks or like, like something. So I'm going to try to hook it up to the Spotify API and do that. But hmm. that's after I learn the basics. Cause I, if, uh, knowing myself, the most challenging thing is going to just be simply graphics layout on the screen. So I'll have to get that. Yeah. That's, that sounds challenging. <laughs> yeah. It should be fun. What about you? We had a conversation yesterday about local development when much will go to the cloud eventually. Oh, yeah. I've got a, a pretty cool system dialed, I think. And it's what I'm doing is a bastion host. So I create a, v, a VPC with Terraform and I deploy that. And then I create an EC2 instance in that VPC and I SSH into it and do all my development there. Nice. Visual Studio Code allows you to develop into it uh, another box through SSH and it's like blazing fast. I was very surprised. It finds the Python executable. It finds the Git executable and it's as if you're doing local host development. And the cool thing is you're, does it just do that without a plugin or do you need a plugin or something? But you know how VS code is like, I think you need this plugin and just automatically installs it. So yeah, the plugin is like remote SSH. Part of the incentive for doing that was like both my computers are on their last leg and oh. I've already been kind of like switching back and forth between them. And then my development environment is all whacked out. But another incentive is that like, if I want to do development against the cloud, cause I'm going to deploy there eventually mm -hmm. doing all my local development and then translating that is a big pain in the butt and keeping that in mind. Yeah. So it's like, I, d I start in the cloud by using the, the EC2 instance as my box. Nice. They, they call that a bat. And that's really smart to do with Terraform too because yeah. you could just spin that guy up tear it down at will that's right so and by the way a little teaser for folks like we're actually going to put up an episode on the machine learning guide about devops topics in machine learning so if you already know all this stuff i don't know why you would have listened this far but but hope like cool thanks and uh you can keep an eye out on the feed for that so that should be fun nice thanks for taking some time to explain this to uh to me like i was five i appreciate it yeah thanks matt thanks for having me on